When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we have got a bit of an interesting match at the weekend, to say the very least, to discuss. I am your host today, Adam Jones, joined by Gab Buckland, Chris Beasley and Paul Wheelock to go over Everton's defeat to Manchester City at Goodison Park, but we know that Phil Foden's uh, one goal in a 1-0 win is probably not going to be the main talking point of this one. We've got uh, a bit of a, a, a bit of a strong Everton performance to discuss, uh, some post-match comments from Frank Lampard, which I think were very interesting. But uh, Chris, we'll have to we I think we're just going to have to start with the uh, yeah. with the main talking point from the game, aren't we? You know, we, uh, shortly after Man City had taken the lead late on in the game. Uh, the ball bounces up inside the Man City penalty area. Seems to seems to strike Rodri on the arm. We could all see it in the stadium. We could all see it in real time. Uh, the referee couldn't see it, to be fair. He, he did look like he was a little bit unsighted. VAR could see it, but uh, did not give Everton a spot kick, which was, you know, I, I think I described it at the weekend as one of the most ridiculous decisions I've, I've seen in my time reporting on football. I mean, is that something that... Is that something that you agree with? Yeah, um, obviously we'll, we'll go to Gav later as well, and he's he's seen more than yourself and even myself. But in whatever our respective um, times of watching football is, it's got to be it's got to be up there, hasn't it? Um, at the time, it, it, it looked like a, a strong shout in in real time, and then when, like you said, once we'd actually all seen it on the replay, which the VAR had the access to, and Paul Tierney could have had the access to, had uh, Chris Kavanagh deemed it worthy of a second look on the pitch side monitor. It was blatant, it was below the, t- the supposed T-shirt line, so it wasn't a question in that respect. He just brought it down with his arm, controlled the ball in the, the area. That it's a penalty. I mean, it wasn't just gamesmanship from Richarlison, the fact that he was stood there on the penalty spot. Um, I'm pretty sure he was convinced as... Almost everyone is in the stadium. Was that in time? Once that decision was reviewed, it was going to be a, a penalty kick. Um, whatever we think about VAR, and there's been horrendous teething problems with the system in, in, in recent years. That that's one of the main reasons it has been brought in. When you you have something like that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the match day referee is not in a position where he can see it where you can um, go to that and um, make the correct um, decision, if that's not clear and obvious, Heather. And I, I really don't know um, what is, but the, the problem is Everton um, obviously um, putting a formal complaint today, as we will talk about Frank Lampard, was very vocal about it, which was which was good to see and understandable. And But it's not going to give Everton that point back, that potential point. Obviously, they still had to convert the penalty, which is another thing. But they... Had an opportunity there for what would have been a deserved draw and, and very difficult circumstances against the league champions, and they were denied it. Mm. I mean, Gav, you were you were sat off with us in the press box as well. You had yeah. a very, very similar view 
as me and Chris add to the whole incident, I mean, do you agree that it was, you know, even in real time, it, it looked like a blatant stonewall penalty, didn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's said before we came on air that that's as bad a decision I've seen in 50 years of watching football at Goodison because of the VAR aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know, when people watch it, the, the monitors in the press box, you obviously see supporters behind. Yeah, everybody leaning over. Yeah. The, the consensus was, and, and sometimes you get the sense of football and there's a bit of mumbling and stuff, or, you know, because that's what everybody said it was a penalty. You know, it was, and everybody said since it was a penalty. I can't remember many decisions taken in a football game, certainly in the last few years, where everybody, everybody, be it player, pundit, supporter, are unanimous in their opinion. There's no mm-hmm. grey in this. It was, it was clear handball. It was textbook handball, as Shada said on uh, match today on Saturday, with the added value that uh, Rodri actually, you know, it's an unnatural position for his arm, and he sort of leans in. <laughs> Mm. To control the ball with it, so it's a textbook handball. You couldn't get um, you couldn't get more uh, explicit than that. And uh, there's so much to talk about this, so I'm not going to say everything. But it, it just shows up, you know, the 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 sort of the failings of the VAR system in one mm-hmm. one fell swoop, doesn't it? Really, mm-hmm. uh, which are in short for me, you know, the lack of lack of clarity when you're at the ground. Over what's being said, uh, I think I'm not a fan of referees also being VAR officials. I think that the two things should be independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, uh, the failure of Tierney to who, who I think it's in his own gift to go to the the pit side monitor, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He can do it himself to go to the pit side monitor. Um, you know all that, and also the, the 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 pathetic pathetic explanation afterwards with not enough evidence. So. I mean, well, what does that mean? Well, why isn't there enough evidence? That's the question, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. short of Rodri picking the ball up with his left hand and rolling it down his right arm, I don't think mm-hmm. how much more he could have done to have uh, committed handball in the area. Yeah. Um, and it just shows that the system is is um, not fit for, for purpose, regardless of the, the, the end decision. And it, that was crystallised in one, you know, one uh, one decision there for me. It was um, it was just as it was just. You know, people have said, you know, it wasn't incompetence, was it? There was some I, I get that people why people think there's something else going is there's something else going on there because you can't be that incompetent where you can miss a clear handball looking mm-hmm. at the screen. Mm-hmm. And um I, I just thought it was just awful. The one thing I'd say is because because of the time I'm going off for Dante if you've got twenty five minutes. Um, <laughs> I haven't said I don't want to say everything about VAR. I've now saying everything about VAR is is I think a lot, a lot, a lot of it's about consequences of decision making. VAR. If that was five minutes into the game, they're given the penalty there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. all day long they give a penalty because there's eighty-five minutes then to to correct any any failing. But with the, if there's five minutes left, obviously the time's limited, and I think the timing of the you know the time of the um, decision. Mm. Uh, came into it in terms of like only five minutes left on the on the pitch, and uh, I, I guess I mean to be VAR has only shown the the way big clubs get the big advantage even more than beforehand. To be honest with you, because of consequences, that's why. Yeah, mm. not great, and it was mm. a poor. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, Paul, it, it, like as Gav rightly says there, it takes us back to an age-old discussion, doesn't it, about you know, the level of officiating in, in the Premier League and you know now with VAR, the, VA, the way the VAR system works. And I think... You know, the fact that the fact that the Premier League's initial explanation talked about you know there not being enough clear and conclusive evidence to send Paul Tierney over to the monitor with it being a subjective decision, I, I I just I just don't understand that. I can't I can't compute that in my head because if it is a subjective decision, then surely it should be down to the on-field referee. Like surely that for the in these situations, these are the ones where he should be sent over to the monitor more than anything else because otherwise we're we're going quickly to a to an era where the game's going to be refereed in Stockley Park rather than actually on the pitch, aren't we? Yeah, it's it was, it's unforgivable, <clears throat> really. At the very least, he should have been sent to the pit side monitor, and then surely he would have seen, which is Gav rightly said, everyone else seen. You know, I've I've never known such a unanimous verdict on uh, on a penalty decision before, and it, it, at the time where we sit past you guys towards the park end in the main stand, it looks a penalty from there. And, you know, you can tell from the way players in the Gladys Street reacted that there was a really big shout. But just to get back, you know, the reception on your Wi-Fi is not the best at Goodison. And it was only, there was a lot of traffic on the way out uh, going out of Walton because obviously City fans are going down the uh, the same route as a lot of Everton fans. And it wasn't until we got closer to home that you actually seen it. And it, it it's just staggering. And, I didn't think I'd ever see a day where I'd probably judge a decision as the bad as the one Klassenberg made in one derby and Graham Pohl made in another derby when we went off the backside of Hutchison and went in. Obviously, the, the Klassenberg one was the penalty late on. And I know you said on a, a video after the game on Tony Scott's video, Gavin, my dad certainly referenced it as well, Clive Thomas. But we've really have got a, you know, we, we have got a, a, another another one to add to the, the, the kind of the shameless the bad decisions that have gone against Everton it's just you cannot believe it you cannot believe it and it's 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 just doubly gut-wrenching because you know the position we're in and how big a point that could have made given the fact that we don't play again while Burnley play twice I think before we play against Tottenham next Monday mm-hmm. and the fact that we played so well which I'm sure we'll come on to but it's just staggering I, I cannot the Denise Baxner rightly has, has complained to the to the Premier League today. They need to say something because they've got it badly, badly wrong. Yeah, there's there's just no there's no hiding place for them. It's it's pretty hard still to take now. Two days on. Mm. Well, I mean, Chris Frank Lampard, as as you mentioned before, he was quite angry in his post match comments. He said to us, "We've lost the point potentially when we're fighting for our life by a professional who can't do his job right, and that's amazing. It's incompetence to get it wrong." Anyone who understands football at any level uh, will know that it's the most clear handball that you can give. All the criteria, arms out below the sleeve, great from our point of view. I'm waiting for him to run to the screen and give it. It's a comp- incompetence at best, at worst. Who knows? And, you know, obviously, it, it, it's a, it's probably something that Frank Lampard's going to get a phone call from somebody at the Premier League or the FA about uh, over the next couple of days, you imagine, to uh, explain his comments. But... 
you know, it, 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 it's spot on, isn't it? And, you know, he, he, he was saying that he's going to wait for the apology or whatever is set to come from the Premier League. But that's not going to change anything, is it? You know, this, this is, you know, the, 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 the real potential for Everton to get what could be a, a really, really valuable point from now until the end of the season against uh, the Premier League champions. And uh, they've not been able to... They, well, they've been denied the opportunity to get that, really, which is which is pretty staggering, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I was speaking to uh, Michael Ball earlier, so he's got a column coming up um, soon, and um, he was telling me how he, he was made up with what Frank Lampard did and also what um, Denise Barrett-Baxendale did on behalf of the club there, as we understand them. Um, it's about time that um, Everton stood up for this, uh, as, as Michael Ball told me. He said that you know they've been a soft touch for far too long in this respect to sort of shrug the shoulders and got on with it. And maybe because it isn't, they were playing Manchester City. It's Manchester City in the title race. It's got a lot more exposure than it would have got if it was just Everton against somebody else. And people wouldn't really be too bothered that Everton missed out or had some shocking decision went 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 against them and. Michael has said, as we've, we've alluded to already, it's not an isolated incident. I'm sure that every club have got their big long list of um, things that have gone against them in the years, but Everton really do have some really sort of damning decisions that have gone against them over the years. And like I said, this this will be added to them. I mean, if it can just even put a seed of doubt into the referees' minds going forward, um, maybe Everton between now and the end of the season might get one that goes... The other way, because it is going to be close, as we mentioned there, not playing again until next Monday, which is already a difficult fixture away at Tottenham. It's almost it's it's a paradoxical situation, really. I just discussed it yesterday in our talking point piece. Um, Everton looking a lot rosier now on the front Lampard. You've got that unity on and off the pitch, start putting in performances, certainly at Goodison at least, and a different level than what we'd seen previously all season. But short term. They realistically could be in the relegation zone over the next week or so. So it's almost like it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I think calm heads are needed in, in this situation because you can see if they play like they did against Manchester City, they will be in fine in terms of against relegation. But they've got to get these points on the board. And if, if you're not playing again in the league until like a couple of games after some of your um, rivals have, have played, you know, it, it, it does have a potential to get quite nasty and that and that point could have you know made all the difference really mm. i mean gav as well just before we started recording pep guardiola was asked about the incident again and his quotes now was saying uh, what i will say is the pass by delhi alley looks like it's offside to richarlison if it's not offside then it's a penalty i mean it's he's in a position where he can say that now <laughs> can't he <laughs> it's fell in his favor I, I, I don't like, I'm not a great fan of managers coming out when the decision's gone in their favour and they say, oh, yeah, I, I, I thought we you know, we were lucky there, or, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was a couple of further comments. The the telling point for me is the City players were having a go at Rodri afterwards, weren't they? Yeah. Because they yeah. knew it was a handball. Mm-hmm. They? So they, they could have, like, conceivably cost them two points. The final point, which I think is the key point for, with VAR, is... You know, we've spoken about Clattenberg and Clive Thomas and stuff. They're thinking in the now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, they're reacting to what they're seeing immediately. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, you can make mistakes. And that's what VAR has helped, you know, is there to, to assist uh, referees. To me, it's all about consequences. And I think they are, 
allows officials too long to think of the consequences of their decision that they're taking. Yeah. And I think on, on Saturday, um, you know, you're sitting there thinking, oh, if I give a penalty here, could cost City. They're a big, powerful club, top of the league. It's going to have massive repercussions. Uh, which is the decision that's going to t- uh, cause the least amount of repercussions? Not to give a penalty. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened with the same two officials. Harry Kane should have gone gone at the, at the Spurs stage in December. But who's going to send the England England skipper off in a high profile game mm-hmm. live on live on television? So again, there they took the decision that causes the least repercussions. And uh, and I think that's what VAR does. It, it gives people too much thinking time mm-hmm. over the consequences of their decision. And I think when you do that, I think that's when the influence of big clubs, famous managers, title races, all that type of stuff is allowed to have too much influence mm. rather than yeah. giving the decision in the now. And I, so VAR, rather than addressing the issue of bias towards big clubs, which is one of the things, is actually accentuating it mm-hmm. for me. And you saw that perfect, perfectly on Saturday. And um, I, I just thought it, yeah. No, you know, I think I was I seen Dermot Gallagher this morning on Ref Watch and stuff, and he was talking about images. No, I think it'd be really helpful in the VAR space. A professional football photographer. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be a bad shelf. You know, to just to sit in Stockley Park, to people who spent their entire lives photographing footballers mm-hmm. in relation to the ball and understanding the flow of the game and what's a good image and what's a bad image and, you know, why people have done mm-hmm. certain things, you know. Because because all you do is photography, you anticipate stuff, don't you? And I yeah. think a professional football photographer would be hugely beneficial um, about what images to use and what's happened, you know, what's happening and, you know, where, where the ball is in relation to the player. And mm. I, I, that struck me this morning when I was watching Jamie Gallagher where he was saying, oh, using the images. And he mm. said that what he, the, uh, the the VAR official may have got to uh, head up over the image from the side, but it looks as though it's sort of at the top of his arm rather than behind, where it's quite clearly, you know, uh, you know, near the bottom of his arm. And I think somebody like a, somebody like a, an experienced press photographer football games could be quite useful in advising mm. people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's consequences for me. And that came into uh, play on uh, Saturday, I'm sure. Mm. I mean, Paul, like finally, well, final point on this before we move on to talk about the actual, uh, the actual rest of the 90 minutes and the performance. But I mean, I, I suppose, I suppose there'll be fans of a lot of Premier League cl- clubs across the country who'll think that, you know, VAR has worked against them more than it's worked for them. But, you know, do Everton, do Everton have the most big decisions kind of go against them? Because I'm thinking the Deli Alley handball in that Spurs game, which where he had his arm above his head and somehow that that wasn't given as handball. We had the Michael Keane one against Brighton, where Brighton got a penalty. Was it was it Aaron Connolly who was who was who was brought down brought down? In inverted commas, there and uh, that changed the, the flow of the game. Everton were two two one up in that game, ended up losing that three two, uh, and now you've got this one as well. I'm sure there's others that I'm that I'm forgetting. Well, Oriol Romeo uh, against Southampton, that that handball that was only that was only a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? So, yeah, Everton really do have a real basis to be angry about these sort of consistent VAR decisions, don't they? 
massively. I think I read a piece on Sunday where they were saying of the last like four big decisions in the Premier League that they clearly got wrong. Two have involved in Everton there in recent weeks, and obviously the Romeo one as well. It, we, yeah, it, we've got history there, and we've and we've got history with Kavanaugh, haven't we? There's there's no mm-hmm. this isn't the first time the greatest respect in the world that he he's got it wrong and cost us badly. You know, and his officiating, and that's why coming back to what you've you've been saying there, Lampard particularly was right to call it out. Yeah, you know, he might get a fine. You know, who knows? He's saying my days. You know, his wrist slept, but he had to set his marker out there and and the club's marker really because it can't go on. Because I do feel, sadly, this one has been amplified more given the fact that Liverpool are right on uh, Man City's coattails, and obviously Liverpool even more so than Man City and the big media exposure they got. And I think there was obviously a lot of Liverpool fans on social media and whatever afterwards. They were angry too. And and it makes me worry that if there wasn't a title race on, it might have not got the exposure it's got. It might have just been forgotten about. But as Gav said, it's consequences. And the consequences of what it's done for Everton are kept us closer to the relegation zone than what we wanted and you only hope that it doesn't have some more serious consequences later on down the season but it's got to have consequences for for Cavern as well you know after that Klassenberg derby he didn't referee at Goodison again for a number of years I think he may have only did it once after that and I'm, I, I've got to speak as a supporter here rather than somebody who works for the Echo but I, I don't want to see Cavern's name on the back of the programme or you know listed on Twitter when the, the team sheets are you know, you know handed out now because it's it's too many times He's cost Everton, and this one, there is just, there's nothing he can say or the Premier League can say that can justify the decision. You know, it it, it was just that bad. Mm. And Chris, I, th- I suppose the the disappointing thing is that it's it's dominated the conversation and it's taken away from what I just you know described at the start of the of the podcast today is a, a pretty robust performance from Everton. You know, Van City. Obviously, did break through in the end, but, but I would suggest that was probably in pretty fortuitous circumstances. But you know, all all in all, it's a ninety-minute display that was probably up there with the best that we've seen under under Frank Lampard, particularly, wasn't it? Yeah, given the the, uh, the strength of the opposition, I remember obviously we were in the the press room at Goodison before the game, and we we're just looking at that team sheet and even the Manchester City substitutes. You know, yeah. the amount of talent they were capable to bring off the bench. You're thinking. You know what? What's this going to be? I mean, a colleague said to me beforehand, I won't name his name, but he said, "Would you take a two-one defeat now?" And I said, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Um, no, no. But yeah, it just showed showed you what they were up against, um, and the fact that they did run them close. Obviously, first half, like I said, Jordan Pickford had very little to do. How often can you say that in a full forty-five minutes against City? Of course, second half, then they start to turn the screw. Start work those openings and need to pull off a couple of great saves, especially that 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 second one there um, from from Silva, wasn't it? Um, after he mm-hmm. sort of pushed him into a uh, position from the De Bruyne shot first first off, but yeah, having a couple of opportunities, Richardson probably should have done better from at least one of those two chances. I know one of them was offside, but it wasn't to know that. Um, yeah, they they really played well, and that's uh, they said we're in this strange position with Everton at the moment, in that they. They should be absolutely fine if they carry on like that between them now and the rest of the season, but they've got to get those points on the board. Um, and they have to start, you know, it's, it's still only the one league victory under Frank Lampard, but you've got to keep a cool head and, and have that patience. They, they, 
they're, they're doing the right things now. They obviously have to improve away from home. That's a big thing for them. They've got to start picking up some points on, on the road and um, just, uh, just being in games more away from home. But certainly at Goodison Park now, they've, they've shown that, you know, you've got that unity. And it wasn't and it wasn't there under Benitez. Obviously, everyone was desperately trying to rouse the team, but it just wasn't there. And the fact that everyone's singing from the same hymn, hymn sheet, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're impressed with what, Frank and his staff have done on the training pitch and what they say since they've came into the clubs. Remember, it's still only less than a month since he was appointed on transfer deadline day. So hopefully that that, that can that it is it seems hard to say how, what can you take from that from that game because ultimately they were left with nothing and they'd be bitterly disappointed. But that generally was one of those games where even though you were beaten, you should be able to take the positives from it and take encouragement for the rest of the season because you know obviously. It is a tough relegation battle in which they're, they're very much in the thick of at the moment. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I mean, Gav, how many, how many positives do you think that can be took from it? Because I think, you know, over the last couple of weeks when we've been on the podcast, I think quite rightly you've made the point that, you know, Everton's wins under Frank Lampard. You've got to... You've got to try and assess the opposition that Everton we're up against. You know, Brentford on the slide, Leeds on the slide. I think it was quite right to make those points. But Man City certainly aren't a team on the slide. No, are no. They, are they? And Everton put, gave them a real a real good game at the weekend, which is, you know, it, it's no mean feat, as Chris says. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the first half is probably the best we played against a super team or whatever you would call them for, for a long time. Um City's uh, XG was 0.16, wasn't it, at half-time? So, I can't remember last time City had 0.16 XG for the half of football. Yeah, I thought we played... It wasn't just sitting deep and defending well and being compact. We played all the good joined-up stuff. Um, Used the the flanks. Well, um, I think the key thing for me on Saturday was we, we had three men in midfield... Which I've said before is it's pointless having three three midfield if you haven't got the right balance, and um, which has been the case all season for me. But Van der Beek coming in and Decore coming back to fitness has enabled us to get that sort of classic midfield three of somebody will sit a box to box and somebody will just you know maybe uh, play further up the pitch. Um, though Alan got uh, through a lot of box to box work, didn't he? Said in the mm-hmm. first half on on Saturday. So I think the difference for me was that midfield three. Um, worked really well, um, even into the into the second half when we were under the cosh a little bit, and and that gave us more shape and more dynamism. Uh, and and I thought what we'd be done really well on Saturday was City. The funny team City is, you know how they're going to play. <laughs> they're an easy team to play against because you know exactly how they're going to play. The personnel may change, but you know what you're going to do. They're going to do. And what we did really well, I thought, on Saturday, particularly in the first half, is is block that classic City ball of playing the pass between the, 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 the centre-half and the full-back and getting get to the byline. And by having a three who, who kept the shape, we, we, blocked, we blocked those passing channels off a lot. And, and, and ultimately, I thought City looked a bit nervy and edgy on mm. Saturday. I mean, the number of times they passed the ball out to play, crosses were overhit. Um, I, I thought they looked like a team that were feeling the pressure. And we helped that. By the way, we set up, and we, you know, we've obviously talked about the goal in a bit, but I, I just lots of positives to take from that going forward, and if to show that desire and 
uh, organisation between now and the end of the season, I think we'll uh, we'll be more than okay. Mm. I think Gav makes a really good point about the midfield there, Paul. I mean, I think it kind of sums up what we've been missing from Abdoulaye Decore over the last month or so, doesn't it? And it kind of suggests why Frank Lampard was so so keen to have him back, and you know he trusted him enough to throw him straight straight into what was a really energetic. Well, it had to be a really energetic sort of performance, and you know Decore got straight up there in, in terms of uh, in terms of the energy levels alongside. I thought Van der Beek was really good. Alan was very good again, wasn't he? Yeah, he was outstanding, Decore. I didn't think he'd actually last the 90 minutes, given you know the, the amount of time he's been out. But he makes such a huge difference to the team, and I think he makes such a huge difference to to Alan as well. You know that he's got some legs alongside him, and I think as we talked about there, the, the three man midfield helps Alan massively, as maybe even more so than Decore, because he just ex- looks exposed as a two. Certainly against good teams like Southampton, who move the ball around well and, and usually have three in midfield. But I thought. Him, even maybe more so than the Corey on Saturday, was actually an even better performer, especially given the way that he played in those away games at, uh, at Southampton and Newcastle. But I felt, I don't feel for Benitez, certainly not, because <laughs> he didn't do anywhere near enough good a job. But I, I I do wonder if he would have ever gone to a free, whether it would have been ever, diff- ever, ever different. Because I think it's one of those things, isn't it, with you know football managers clearly know more about the game than maybe some most of us supporters but all season we've been calling for that three-man midfield haven't we and we finally got to see it on Saturday and it was, as Gav rightly said there there was really nice balance about it with Van der Beek many a times dropping deeper but he's such a, a nice footballer isn't he on the eye and he, his, his positioning is good and his, his touch and first time passing is good and we can only hope like the injury came off with isn't serious but I think as Chris rightly said there's enough there on Saturday to prove that we can get out of trouble. And, you know, if we played anywhere near us like that over the course of the 90 minutes at Southampton, I'm sure we would have got something. Obviously, Decore was missing, which was such a, a big loss, but they've got to back that up now at Tottenham. As well as Tottenham were playing, you know, they were excellent at Man City, got a great win at Leeds, but I think the caveat there is that everyone's battering Leeds at the moment and it might not be so easy going forward now they've actually got rid of Bielsa because clearly the players weren't playing for them in the end. Uh, they've got to go there, Everton, play that play like that against Tottenham on Monday because you know we can do that against City, we can do that against Tottenham. This, uh, but as Chris rightly said again, you know we need points, don't we? It, it, the positives are there, but we need points because I, I know we'll probably talk about this more next week on the podcast, but just feels going into that massive week of Wolves, Newcastle, and Watford. I wouldn't want to be going in it with a defeat because I think it'll pile the pressure on even more. Then what it is a huge week in our season. Mm. Just on Van, Van der Beek, uh, Frank Lampard seemed to confirm after the game that Van der Beek was just suffering from cramp, uh, which he said was you know entirely understandable going from not playing at all at Man United to coming in and playing a lot of minutes already for Everton. So that was on an initial basis anyway. Let's just uh, let's hope that was right and he will be fit enough to take on Tottenham next week. But. Bees, you know, talking about the, this 4-3-3 system, as Paul rightly says, you know, this is something that Everton fans have wanted to see for a while. Uh, does it maybe create something of a selection dilemma for Frank Lampard almost? I'm, I'm thinking more so for the attacking three because, you know, Everton took on Man City without Dominic Calvert-Lewin and without mm. Demardi Gray in the starting lineup. Uh, Richarlison, you'd suggest, is, you know, a, a guaranteed starter for Everton. Anthony Gordon's probably been... Uh, one of the best players of the last two or three months, I would I would potentially say. 
I think Alex Iwobi had another good game against Man City as well. So, you know, do you, which of them do you drop? Do you, do, you, do you drop any of them? I mean, Calvert-Lewin and, well, Demardi Gray's been Everton's best player this season. Calvert-Lewin's the lead striker. I mean, they, they've got to be fit in somewhere, haven't they? Yeah, it is, like you say, it's further forward, isn't it, where it, um, it creates the dilemma because somebody has got to um, miss out and I'm, I'm sorry and I, there was something encouraging moments again from him at, at times but you know if it's going to be one of them it's going to be Alex Awobi um, like you say Anthony Gordon has come on leaps and bounds which means somebody even like um, Andros Townsend who was like a, a shoe-in at the start of the season and was one of the main performers there a great start to his time at Goodison you know he can't get in the side um, at the moment because Gordon has come on so um, in such leaps and bounds and sort of made that place his own so um, yeah, I think that Awobi would be the one, but my, the, the thing that I'm concerned about is Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the, um, these niggles he, he keeps having. We knew he had that, that injury that was, was a bad one and kept him out for most of the first half of the season, uh, four months on the sidelines after three goals in three games at the start of the season, carrying on from where he'd left off last season, where was it 21 in all comps. And that's one of the big one of the big reasons. Take Calvert Lewin's goals out of the team this season, and no wonder Everton are struggling in like many places down the table to where they were a year ago. Because you take those sort of goals out of any team, they, they're going to be doing a, a lot worse off. I just hope that Calvert Lewin can keep fit and um, can um, get back amongst the goals as soon as possible. We keep talking about getting these points as soon as possible. He needs to get a goal as soon as possible. He obviously tried that first game back, didn't he, when he took the penalty against Brighton and Albion and ended up skying it. It's kind of gone backwards since. Um, so I've been in and out the side. We don't think he's going to be fit for uh, Boreham Wood and he might not even be fit for Tottenham Hotspur on Monday. So, yeah, that, that, that's a concern for me. But in terms of the attacking midfielders and who you'd leave out, I mean, there have been encouraging signs for Wolby, but from those ones that you, you've listed, I mean, he would be the one for me. I think you can't leave out Gordon or Richarlison if they're firing on all cylinders and, like, say, Damani Gray back to fitness as well. So, yeah, I mean, even among Sems, might be one of those who have to, to move out. Might be two after go. Mm. Well, Gav, bees has brought up. Boredom Wood, I'm not sure we're going to be recording again before then, so we might as well have a bit of a chat. <laughs> and, well, it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you the age-old question. I mean, Everton coming up against, well, a non-league side uh, at home, uh, in the FA Cup, how many changes do you make to the team? Uh, well, we've got options, haven't we, for the start? Mm. So we can make changes, as Chris said, they may not necessarily weaken the team completely. Uh, thinking of the forward line, um, bring Townsend in. I've got a, got a good stat about Townsend packed in my pocket, mm. uh, by the way. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I think certainly up front, definitely mm. midfield. If Van der, I'm trying to think he was cup tied and there isn't. His, we've got, we didn't mention Van der there as well, did we? Van der Beek and Delhi are both cup tied, yeah. And yeah. Van der Garzi as well, isn't he? Yeah. And yeah. So um, as you can see, I've done a complete abject lack of research for this FA Cup game. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's important. <laughs> You've got a few days yet, Gav. You know yeah, that. yeah. Uh, no, I think. I, I think you'd have to make a few changes, but not necessarily, you know, you know, without necessarily weakening the team. Not, not, not saying that we. Should, I'd be frightened if we did weaken the team because let's face, we're playing Bournemouth, Wood, aren't we? Not playing Manchester mm -hmm. City. Um, but yeah, maybe give a 
couple of players a rest? Would you give Alan a rest? Yeah. You probably give Decore a rest, would you? Probably. Um, Van der Beek, so you couldn't dare replace the entire midfield, couldn't you, Ronce? I think in general, though, like what, what who, do, who do you replace them with in the midfield? Then if, if you play you're... Townsend there, couldn't you? Townsend's yeah. Gomez has to come in, yeah. Play Wolby, maybe, yes. uh, yeah. playing further back. You could play four four two, couldn't you? It, it's just, yeah. it, there's, there's options there, but I do think in in the in the light that we play Spurs four days later to to rest three or four players, I'd like to see the um, both four backs that we bought in January play. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. as well, I think passes and needs maybe some some minutes. Give Seamus a rest. Who I thought was excellent on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, yeah, I'd be looking to change quite a few there, and mm. but not to the. But I, but I still think we'd have a you know more than more than enough uh, ability to to be born mothers. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mm. I mean, Paul, a player that I didn't mention in the midfield probably was Tyler Onyango. I mean, he could, I would suggest that there's probably. A lot of the under twenty three squad who've been training with the uh, senior team over the last few weeks, I'm thinking on Yango, Lewis Dobbin, uh, Reese Welch, perhaps at centre back. You know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of players there that might have their eyes on this game and be thinking to themselves, I could get a few minutes here. Uh, would you would you trust would you trust starting any of them, or would you would you have them on the bench ready to ready to come into the game? I certainly have them in the squad. I think given the forward options we've got, Gray. Townsend, Rondon, there's enough players if Lampard wants to switch it around completely up top who could come in and probably need game time. So I think Dobbin may struggle. But yeah, midfield, I certainly wouldn't play. It sounds crazy, but it's just a pessimist than me. It's risky to drop the core and Allen for a game with a fifth-tier side. But, you know, <laughs> that is the pessimist in me. Uh, I think both of those definitely need a rest. You bring Gomez in. It could be a stage four, Tyler Onyango. If you did play a Townsend and a Wobi in there with him, you'd, why not? Why not? You know, it's a game we should definitely be winning. Uh, you know, in the summer, Delft's certainly going to go. Another midfielder will probably go. So there's going to be space in that squad, Tom Davis. We don't know when he's going to be back fully fit. So he's not going to get any auditions between now and the end of the season, given the importance of you know the Premier League matches. Why not bring him in? There's also maybe the argument for, for Jared Bramthwaite. But probably the three players I would stick with, because I could see maybe being seven or eight changes, would be the centre-backs, keep them playing together. thought they played pretty well on Saturday, unfortunately. One glaring error from Keane, basically, you know, you know, cost us the game. And, and, and really, as I think, Chris, you said in your in your ratings, didn't you? Yeah, it, it might have been a harsh game of five, but, you know, it cost Everton the match, yeah. along with the referee's decision. I agreed with it. Uh, and I wouldn't change the goalkeeper. I think it's too big. Like, you know, I know, again, it sounds ridiculous playing a, a non-league team, but I think keep Pickford. I'm not a fan of blocking the goalkeeper at this stage. And that might be harsh on Be- uh, Begovic, but I'd, I'd certainly play those three. And then maybe another of the, the midfielders or forwards. But yeah, I'd like to see Onyango. Really would. You know, he's clearly highly rated. We're not blessed with options in there. And two of our two of our best players uh, need a rest. And two of the new signings in Ali and Van der Beek can't play so yeah why not give him a go mm. I suppose Chris like, it, it, it's always a debate isn't it like obviously as a Premier League side playing against you know a side in fifth tier 
yeah, it does it does present an opportunity to maybe change things off, give players a chance to impress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you still mm-hmm. want to take this seriously, don't you? Because you don't want to run the risk of what would be you know a real, real embarrassment if Everton don't win this. Yeah, because you know it's it, it it it's live on ITV. Yeah, and, and um, you know, so um, there's going to be a, a, a big national audience there, and it's no, it's not what it would have been maybe at the weekend, but you know, there's going to be it's on terrestrial television. So Everton have done very well actually sell this game out. Shows you that uh, a lot of interest in there. There's going to be a big crowd at Goodison. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd get the tie one first, and then maybe make make um, the changes. Um, I remember um, going back a bit now. Obviously, Gavin remember um, Woking at Goodison yeah. Park. Um, it was actually one of those back in the day where they could switch it. It was actually drawn to be played at Woking and was officially an away match forever. And Evan actually wore the blue shorts that day because they um, they were the away team. I think they might be in the away dressing room, but um, they only won that one one nil. And okay, that was, that was over thirty years ago now. But, um, these these non-league teams have become a lot more professional in the, the the way they are. A lot of those teams in the national league are, are full time now. They're not, you know, it's not like you know you you butcher baker and candlestick maker anymore. You know, they, they are proper footballers. And um, you'd like to think Everton might be able to get a big score, but before you do that, just you know, just get it, just just get it won. You know, these games are, you know, it's it's it is you know for a cle- it's a cliche, but it is their cup final. It's a massive mm. day for them. They're going to enjoy it regardless of the result. So you, you don't want to be having any banana skins. And I agree with Paul wholeheartedly about the idea of cup keepers. This isn't the under sixes. It's not like, oh, let everyone have a go. Um, Begovic is paying, paid handsomely for his understudy role and uh, you know, to come in at and when required. And I, I would go with uh, with, with my, uh, I wouldn't say the strongest team. I certainly believe, I think the scope for, like you say, bringing the two fullbacks in, that's not going to weaken the team. But I don't think if there's one area of the team you don't need to rest as a goalkeeper. So yeah, I'd stick with Jordan Pickford in there, and also the communication with the the back four. But yeah, there, there are areas where you can uh, can chop and change, but um, get the, get the tie one first, and then think about who you can give a run out to perhaps. Mm. Well, I mean, if we're talking about the fullbacks, like going back to Saturday, Gav, I mean the the show of support for Mikhailenko and for the whole of Ukraine before the game was absolutely. It was all inspiring, wasn't it? It was a really, really poignant moment to to be inside Goodison for, wasn't it? Yeah, not the type of moment you want to be inside Goodison for, though, really, is no. it? You know, no. um, for well, both sets of fans, wasn't it, and players and officials from from both teams. It wasn't just obviously Everton and the, the meeting of the two lads in the pitch was, um, you know, spoke volumes. You couldn't use words to describe it, really. Um, yeah, you saw, you saw. It's, so Goodison had its best, I think, on on Saturday. Um, and I'm not sure if Mikhailenko's headspace is ready for a game at the moment, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was uh, it was very poignant, uh, but not the type of thing you wanna you wanna see, sadly. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, but I'm not sure whether he, he I'm not sure about you know whether his head's there at the moment, it'd be understandable if it wasn't, or maybe the best thing for him was to get him out on the football pitch. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, but it was, yeah, very, uh, very good to see, if that's mm. not, yeah. Well, Paul, I mean, I think we, we say it a lot, don't we, but Everton, Everton do tend to just get these things absolutely spot on, don't they? Yeah, without question. Not the first time, is it, that we, we do this, you know. 
everything that happened obviously around on Hillsborough, you know, young the young Sunderland fan and the donation the club made towards him. They, yeah, I could name so many things, you know, the great work that everything in the community do. Uh, you know, we can sometimes we get let down by the team <laughs> more more times than often, unfortunately. But we can say we're proud to be Evertonians with the the way the club goes about the business and the more important things in life, you know, it does seem strange to say that because how, how passionate and how, how much a big part football plays in our life, you know, the events of what's happening in Eastern Europe at the moment really does put it all into perspective. And yeah, it was, you know, you, you see the images before the game of the two lads embracing and I don't know if you've seen the video knocking around when the Benfica player comes on in, in their game over the weekend and like Frank Lampard and the coaching staff have just got to be uh, directed by Mikolenko, you know, because it's clear when these sports elite Ukrainian sports people are on the court at the moment, the, the emotions are right there in their eyes. You've seen so many crying, quite understandably, because how can you begin to comprehend that you're somewhere and then back in your country, something like that, a democratic country, something like that's happening. So hopefully it plays. Yeah, with Gav, hopefully it's just a way out for him for, for 90 minutes. I'm sure he'd get an incredible reception from the Everton support and maybe there's to support him all the way. But yeah, yeah, brilliant from brilliant before the game which the, the mood was just so right wasn't it and very respectful again hats off to the club yeah fingers crossed he does get himself on the pitch on Thursday I think that's all we've got time for I would usually ask for score predictions at this point but uh, I'm not sure many of us have watched Boreham Wood play <laughs> too many times so I'm not sure I'm not sure how accurate any sort of predictions could be so I'll let you off the hook for this one and we'll just yeah. we, we'll uh, I just had in, sorry to put in there, but we've seen every other team play when we get predictions, we still get them wrong. So, <laughs> are you suggesting that you'd get it, this one right? I'm not, I'm not sure whether that will add anything <laughs> of value at all, you know. <laughs> if you want to give a prediction, Gab, then by all means, three, three nil to the mighty blues. I'm going to get on the fence, yeah, yeah, three, three nil. All right, well, everybody's got to do it now. Gab's Gab's dobbed you all in. I'm going to have to ask you it all now. Bees, what, what do you reckon? Oh, I was going to say 3 0, I'll say 4 0. Oh, you can hold the anti ball. 4 1 with that lad getting a consolation goal back for Bourne Wood later on and exhibit shirts off in front of the Gladys Street Stadium. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be nice. No, I um, think it should, it should be comfortable, shouldn't it? Well, let's hope it'll be comfortable. <laughs> uh, what score do I go for now? I want to be different. Do I go five nil? I'm gonna to have to go five nil now, aren't oh. I? You, you, you took, took the uh, you took the nice scores. I'm gonna to have to go five nil. Oh, the Royal Blue that... podcast isn't being shown in the Boreham Wood dressing room. I was room. gonna say, uh, <laughs> like, if anybody, if any Boreham Wood fans are listening, I, I do apologise. But uh, direct all of your complaints towards Gav. I didn't want to do this prediction, but Gav, Gav's forced me into it. He's That's harsh. Right, well, we'll be back later on in the week to discuss Everton's game against Boreham Wood on Thursday. And, of course, we'll be looking ahead to Everton's next Premier League match against Spurs, which is coming up next Monday. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.